This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. This week, we're going to look ahead to the 2024 legislative session, which is, of course, just around the corner. Because the legislative priorities of Fuse Washington often overlap with those of indivisible groups here in the state, I thought we would check in with our friend Rainey Cohen to hear some of the things that Fuse would like to see in this year's session. Rainey, of course, is the communications hub director with Fuse Washington. It is always such a pleasure. Hello, my friend. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thanks for having me back. So here's something that I don't think we've talked about in the past. How does FUSE determine their legislative priorities? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we do that in a couple of ways. Like the first thing to understand is we're not explicitly a policy shop. So we're never writing bills and advancing them. We're following the lead of our close partners. And we choose the priorities that we think will advance progress for underserved communities and advance racial justice. Um, so we work very closely with multiple statewide coalitions and their priorities often make it onto our agenda. And then there are other places like housing in particular that we feel deeply about and we're gonna support the work of our partners there. Well, there's a lot to discuss on housing uh, and other issues. Um, you know, I'll just ask you before we get to everything um, that that you're going to be prioritizing in the in the legislative session. I want to mention something that is happening in relation to past legislative accomplishments. So, uh, folks may have heard that a group funded by a MAGA millionaire is pushing six ballot initiatives to undo a lot of progressive accomplishments. So, for example, it would cut almost nine hundred dollars, uh, nine hundred million dollars uh, a year, rather, from public schools and child care. Uh, it would block seniors from accessing long-term care. It would increase profits for big oil by rolling back climate legislation. And, and more. And Fuse is sponsoring a decline to sign campaign on all of these initiatives. I know that Indivisible supports us as well. Tell us about Fuse's decline to sign campaign. Yeah, you know, we really see this as doing our part to make sure that people know what they are signing before they actually sign. And, you know, kind of as you mentioned, all six of these initiatives are being bankrolled by one multimillionaire who teamed up with a couple of other MAGA Republicans, and they want to buy themselves a handful of tax breaks. And that's kind of end of the story there. Those tax breaks, like you mentioned, are going to rip billions of dollars away from kids in schools, working families, seniors who benefit from long-term care, and the clean energy solutions that we need to tackle like our climate crisis. Mm -hmm. um, so when you see one of these signature gatherers out on the street or in front of a grocery store, they're framing these initiatives as being good for you and your family, but that's completely backwards. These initiatives will end life-saving programs, and we just want people to know the truth and think about it before they sign. Millionaires buying a handful of tax breaks for themselves. I think that's exactly right. And I will just note that if you see somebody collecting signatures right now, this is exactly what they're doing because there are no other ballot measures collecting signatures right now. So something to look out for. Okay, with that out of the way, let's talk about some of the areas that FUSE is prioritizing for this year's legislative session. I want to start with housing. Uh, we saw a lot of progress on housing in last year's session, most notably a bill addressing uh, what is called missing middle housing that would allow for the creation of multi-unit dwellings, especially near uh, transit hubs, uh, but there were a number of housing bills that failed to pass. So what would FUSE like to see happen on housing in this session? 
Yeah, to your point on that, there was a lot that was done last year to build and provide affordable housing, but not a lot to protect renters and keep them in their homes, which we know is one of the drivers of homelessness is displacing people from where they currently live. So one of the big bills we're going to see this session and that Fuse uh, is really invested in is a cap on rent increases. It's being referred to as the rent stabilization bill, um, and it will help keep people in their homes. So as written, the bill hasn't been filed yet, so there could still be changes to this. But um, the idea is that we would cap rent increases at 5% per year. And if a landlord wanted to raise rent up like that whole cap, they have to give a six month notice so that families can plan for and budget for this rent increase or have time to make plans for if they need to move. Okay, and then you're also going to be focusing on what is referred to as a REIT or real estate excise tax. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this bill is um, a new version of a real estate excise tax that is already in place. And the 200 million that it would raise per year is going to build more affordable homes um, and create a permanent funding source so that we are building affordable homes across the state all the time. So. Right now, when you sell a property, you pay a real estate excise tax on that. This new REIT would exempt property sales being sold for under $1 million. So that's a tax break for most of us if we are selling our homes, trying to move um, all of that. Then it creates a progressive tiered structure of this tax um, above $1 million and then adds a transfer surcharge for folks selling properties just over $3 million. So... The idea is creating a permanent funding source for things like the Housing Trust Fund, Apple Health and Homes, housing for folks with disability and farm worker housing um, by creating a structure that is more progressive. Needless to say, there are going to be some very powerful interests who are going to line up against this. And so advocacy is the key here, gang, uh, for those who are taking part in TAN and Willa. I know we'll be keeping an eye on that. Uh, You have a number of priorities on tax reform. So I'll just uh, ask you, before we get into the, the weeds on this, why Fuse is really focusing on tax reform for 2024. Yeah, you know, It's not necessarily that we're focusing more this year than other years. Um, Balance Our Tax Code, the statewide coalition, is one of our closest partners for raising progressive revenue in the state. And we believe that tax reform is the key that unlocks everything else that we want to get done. We cannot build equity in our state without balancing our tax code and funding the things that we need in order to have like healthy and thriving communities and for that to be equitable across the state. So tax reform is like kind of our bread and butter. And we know that these are sometimes generational fights uh, as we work to make our tax code uh, more aggressive. As you know, we are the most regressive in the entire country. In the entire country, we are very, very upside down on that. And as you say, it's a generational fight. Um, And so, you know, I want to talk first about the wealth tax. So this was introduced by now Senator Noel Frame two sessions ago. Made a little more progress in this year's session, but maybe not as much as folks would like to see. First, remind us what the wealth tax would do. Sure. Um, 
Though wealth tax is a 1% tax on financial property above $250 million. So if you're a wealthy person, your first quarter billion dollars is exempt from this tax. Um, it would raise $3 billion per year and create equity in school and early learning funding. It creates affordable housing closer to the scale that we need to actually solve our housing crisis. Um, it will heavily invest in disability services and creates a fund for working families to receive tax credits. Dare I say it is a populist sounding bill. It's really, real, honestly, on, on both sides of the aisle, you'd think that this would be a no-brainer. But again, very powerful interests who do not want to see this passing. What do you think needs to happen, really, for this finally to become law? So let's remember that two-thirds of our Democratic legislators are currently signed on to this bill. But sign-ons don't always translate into doing the work to move a bill forward. So our, our coalition, the Balancer Tax Code Coalition, is working hard to build legislative champions for this bill. Um, this has never been done before, but momentum is building around the country for reforms like this. So requiring the wealthy to actually pay what they owe um, is a very popular thing. And last year in the budget, they funded a study to flush out more of the practical ways a tax like this would work and be implemented. And so we are hopeful that the results of this study will help ease the minds of some legislators who have reasonable concerns about how a tax like this would work, considering it's ever been done before. Um, we're going to take a run at it this year, um, but we're also building a multi-year strategy for this bill. As you say, generational change. And that study will actually be some good ammunition. So something to keep an eye out for there. You're also pushing for uh, GBI. Again, this is Guaranteed Basic Income Pilot Program, like the kind that we saw work pretty successfully in Tacoma. Um, I'm a big believer in this. Tell us, uh, again, what this bill would do. Yeah. So as you mentioned, it's modeled after the program that was wildly successful in Tacoma. Um, because when families have what they need in order to make ends meet, our entire economy benefits. Um, this bill would provide unrestricted cash payments to qualifying low-income families for them to do whatever they need with it, to pay a bill, buy some clothes, fix a car, you can even save it. The payments are pegged to match the cost of a two-bedroom apartment or a two-bedroom rental in your area. So all families who would qualify and receive these payments are getting a benefit that is um near the cost of living where they are so that across the state, people are receiving basically the same amount. You are also looking to expand on the success of the Working Families Tax Credit. So this passed in session this year. Uh, broad strokes, it returns a portion of sales tax to working families. Sales tax, of course, is part of the reason why our tax structure is so regressive here. How would you, but, but yeah, but how would you like to see the Working Families Tax Credit uh, expanded? Yeah, so right now the Working Families Tax Credit is only available to working adults between the ages of 24 and 65. And that is unless you are younger than that and have a qualifying child. Um, but as we know, 18 to 24 year olds are also working and lots of seniors over 65 are still working. And this benefit should be available to all working adults. So we would like to see this age expansion bill qualify or pass the legislature so that anyone over the age of 18 who is working can qualify. It's, you know, was wildly successful here in its first year. 200,000 households applied for the credit this year and they paid out $112 million to people who need it across our state. So this is a needed and helpful benefit and more people should qualify. 
I want to shift gears and talk about climate legislation because, um, you know, we've actually seen a lot of progress over the last two sessions on climate. Uh, we saw the carbon tax credit program. We saw the clean fuel standard. Um, but there, of course, is so much more uh, to do. In fact, I think many uh, climate advocacy groups see these as a drop in the bucket. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, you are pushing a bill that addresses price gouging by oil companies. Uh, this is especially important, uh, particularly in the light of in light of the, the MAGA-sponsored ballot initiative campaign we, we just talked about. So tell us what this bill would do. So the idea here is to create transparency in the oil and gas industry where record profits are being made while us consumers are subsidizing those corporate profits. The transparency that this bill creates exists in other energy industries already, like natural gas and electricity. So it's meant to bring the oil industry in line with um, what's already happening in other industries. We keep hearing the oil CEOs uh, from the oil CEOs that it's our government's fault that they had to raise gas prices. But in reality, we know these companies have opposed climate policy and clean energy solutions at every single turn. Now they're mad that they have to pay in order to pollute and dump toxins into our communities. Um, they're trying to make consumers mad at the government instead of them by jacking up prices and blaming Jay Inslee. So this bill would shine a light on their tactics so that they can't get away with lying to the public anymore um, to, just to protect their unbelievably high profits. You know, I'm going to throw you a curveball here because you're a messaging expert. How do we get this through to uh, the voting populace, particularly swing voters, people whose votes really matter in, in elections, to say, listen, you know, the, the, the higher prices, the pain you're feeling at the pump, you're, you, you might be putting the blame in the wrong place. How do you think we get this message through? I think we, we have to keep pointing to who the real culprit is and what they are doing. Um, we also have the example of um, last year when gas prices were the highest that they have ever been. That was before the CCA was even in effect. So oil companies are trying to distract us and divert our attention and say our clean energy climate policy that is benefiting our communities and creating good jobs um, is to blame for it. Um, we just have to keep shining a light on what it is that they are doing because they are lying to us. And this is precisely the kind of messaging that we're going to need to push back against these ballot initiatives, uh, particularly if they garner enough signatures to appear on next year's ballot. So let's put a pin in that because I want to come back to you on that uh, later in the year. Um, and I, I would like to wrap up our discussion today by talking about uh, Fuse pushing uh, for a, uh, a legislation. This is a renewed push for legislation that would authorize unemployment insurance for undocumented workers. You and I talked a, a, a quite a bit about this um, earlier this year. Uh, talk again about why this is so necessary and fair yeah. and, and honestly, and why it's fair. Yeah. Um, all of us who work and pay taxes receive some benefits for paying into our collective system. And one of those benefits is unemployment security insurance. But if you are undocumented and you're working and you're paying taxes, just like the rest of us, you are not eligible for unemployment, even when you get laid off through no fault of your own. This is inherently wrong and inequitable, and it contributes to unhealthy communities. We think this should be fixed, and we are proud to support our partners who are pushing this forward. I will just note that uh, recently two state nonprofits, the Washington Dream Coalition and the Scholar Fund, uh, launched the Washington Excluded Workers Benefit Fund. 
it's basically a model to show how this could work at the statewide level if enacted. So again, something to keep an eye on there. Um, I'll just ask you to wrap up uh, our discussion today by you know just giving us your your high end thoughts. Again, this is a short session, sixty days. What are kind of your your, your overarching hopes uh, for the session ahead? I mean, as always, I would love to see them be bold, pass the whole agenda. Um, but I am realistic. It's a short session and a huge election year. Um, we do know that they're going to do a couple of things and leave some stuff for the rest, uh, leave the rest for next year. Um, I think they're going to take a couple of big swings like renter protections and the, uh, real estate excise tax. There is a desire to, um, kind of complete this biennium of housing, the promise that they made last legislative session. Um, so I think that we will definitely see movement on those. Um, and then, man, hopefully the oil price gouging bill. Um, they may be distracted by some of the initiatives if they qualify, uh, but we'll have to wait and see how all of that shakes out. And happy to come back and talk about that once we have the answers there. And of course, we are always happy to have you back to talk about that and more and messaging issues broadly uh, because you're so damn good at it. Uh, Rainy Cohen, thank you so much as always, my friend. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you'd like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisiblepodcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.